Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. It's his soul of the nation speech. We're in a battle for the soul of this nation. Clearly hate speech. Ultra mega Republican agendas. A judge has ruled a victory for Donald Trump. A special master. All eyes watching and waiting. I will get Britain working again. Bombs of destruction. Europe's largest nuclear facility in Ukraine could spell catastrophe. These are tough times. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. Lots to talk about. Former President Barack Hussein Obama praised his former Vice President Joe Biden earlier today, asserting that the country is better off since Cousin Eddie took office as President of the United States. The country is better off than when you first took office, Obama said, flattering again. (laughs) That's all you got to say. By the way, 62% of likely voters think that Joe has been on the take and has known all about his son Hunter's um, overseas businesses and that uh, Joe has been getting rich off of it. 62% of uh, registered voters uh, believe that about Joe. 58% believe that Joe's rhetoric over the last few days, his uh, speech last Thursday and then doubled down on uh, Monday, calling uh, MAGA supporters, Trump supporters, fascist, uh, they believe it is dangerous, it is wrong, it is over the top. So, Joe, you're not heading in the right direction. Uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter what Barack Hussein Obama says about you. You're not headed in the right direction. By the way, My Son Hunter, uh, that movie that was uh, produced by Breitbart, hits theaters today. And apparently it is uh, pretty much in your face. It'll be interesting to see how that movie does. I mean, it's... uh, You know, when someone who's not in the movie business puts something like that out, uh, chances are it could, um, well, I don't know what it's going to do. I mean, it could do really, really well. It could just sort of fizzle and go away, but uh, it will be interesting to see what it does. It's one of those things, it's sort of like this program. We're saying what you're already thinking, and this movie is pretty much putting into film what most people think probably happened. Now, is there going to be fiction mixed in to this myself? Of course there is. But it is based on a, a lot of research, and uh, it'll be interesting. It, if I have no clue as to whether it's uh, playing in eastern North Carolina or not, but uh, if it is, you probably want to go out and take a look at it. By the way, there's this um, new bill out that um, Amy Klobuchar has been pushing that um, basically is a media cartel bill. Lobbyists for big media companies are working overtime to get Republican lawmakers on board with the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. What does that mean? Who knows? I mean, the, the way these liberals name their bills, just like the... Inflation Reduction Act has nothing to do with what the actual bill would do. But lobbyists have promised it will somehow protect conservative media. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yet those same lobbyists are telling Democrats the bill will help curtail misinformation online. In other words, uh, we're actually going to be censoring conservatives. 
The bill would create an antitrust exemption for media companies, allowing them to form a cartel to collectively pressure big tech companies for special favors. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? This exacerbates one of the most anti-conservative trends to come out of the Silicon Valley, the elevation of legacy media on big tech platforms and the suppression of its competitors. And the bill's supporters have been open about the fact that suppression of the so-called misinformation is the goal. In March of 2021, when the JCPA was first introduced, David Chavron, the president and CEO of News Media Alliance, made this goal clear The News Media Alliance is an umbrella group representing the largest and wealthiest legacy media companies in the United States and is the lobbying group that has been most aggressive and persistent in attempts to pass this bill. Well, uh, good news is it looks like it's not going to pass. It looks like it's going to fail. Today, Tom Tillis came out and said, nah, uh, I'm not going to have anything to do with this thing passing. So kudos to Tom Tillis. I mean, we we ride Tom Tillis pretty hard, but he made the right call on this one. Uh, this does not need to be passed. I mean, if it, why would we, why would we go there? Why would he even consider this? I mean, is is it not interesting that these people that are all about tolerance and freedom and openness want to shut down the ability to get news? They want. I mean. They look at the internet and it scares them to death because they know that people, more and more people are getting their information from the internet. And everybody, anybody can go in and start a podcast, start a column, start a blog. Is there information out there? Of course there is. That's what you got to siphon through it. That's why you got to check your sources. I mean, when we cover a story, it, it's... Uh, it has got to be out there from four or five different uh, reliable sources before you, you, you believe it. That's just common sense. But the idea that we're going to have Big Brother controlling what we hear sounds like China. Carolina Journal is reporting. This is, this is good news. North Carolina ranks fifth in the nation for conservative policy outcomes in 2021, according to a review due out in November, and the shift could be a factor in drawing new residents. The ranking is a part of a new book entitled Dynamic Democracy, Public Opinion, Elections, and Policymaking in American States, written by scholars Devin Cauley, an associate professor of political science at MIT, and Christopher Warshaw, Associate Professor of Political Science at George Washington University. The book is unique for tracking the, accu- the actual policy outcomes across all 50 states. In a phone interview with the Carolina Journal, Warshaw noted that North Carolina is a prime example of a rapid right-wing shift in public policy over a short period of time. Republicans took control of the General Assembly in 2010 and for the first time since Reconstruction then captured legislative supermajorities and the governor's office in 2012. The result was the passage of key conservative reforms, including expanded school choice, looser gun restrictions, tax cuts, and pro-life laws. North Carolina followed a, and by the way, this is with a governor who has uh, vetoed anything that he could possibly veto, 
that's why we need to get a supermajority back in November. The result was the passage of key conservative reforms, including expanded school choice, looser gun restrictions. I just said that. North Carolina followed a regional trend in the South of a conservative shift beginning in 2010, Warshaw noted. A bunch of other southern states had the same kinds of things happen as North Carolina, where Republicans took control of state legislatures, he said. Most recently, in 2021, the Republican-led legislature in North Carolina was successful at passing new laws or strengthening existing ones, including expanding the state school choice programs and cutting corporate and individual income tax rates. Wisconsin is another example, with a recent rightward tilt, according to Warshaw. It used to be like actually kind of slightly liberal-leaning state policy, and now it's one of the more conservative states in the country. In contrast, Virginia traditionally has leaned to the right, but took a hard leftward lurch in 2019 and 2020 when the legislature shifted to Democratic control. Of course, now that we have a Republican governor up there, perhaps we're seeing it go back in the other direction. They really had just a giant liberal shift in their policy agenda, which obviously stopped when Republicans won control of the state house. According to the two writers, the top 10 states for conservative policy outcomes are Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, we hope Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, South Carolina, Idaho, Texas, and Oklahoma. The bottom 10 California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Maryland, Massachusetts, Vermont, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Hawaii. Now, add to this and a new analysis from Pew. All but one of the top states for conservative policy outcomes had population gains in 2020-2021. In contrast, seven of the 10 least conservative uh, policy outcome states had a population loss over the same period, including New York lost 1.58% of its population. And of course, they're leaving California as quick as they can. I mean, there's, there's more than, you know, I mean, it's not just cold weather that people are leaving these liberal blue states. Uh, they're, they're leaving because of the policy, primarily. So uh, good news to uh, North Carolina. All the conservatives that have uh, pulled together have uh, gotten into the state house, gotten into Congress, uh, gotten on the radio. <laughs> good, to, uh, good, to, good to know that North Carolina is going in the right direction. Also out of the uh, Carolina Journal today, attorney generals from 13 states are formally supporting North Carolina's U.S. Supreme Court argument in Moore versus Harper, that case could decide what role state courts can play in rejecting congressional election maps drawn by legislatures. Attorney generals from Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas, and Utah all filed amicus or friend of the court's briefs on uh, Tuesday of this week. Uh, I mean, they're just uh, put forth the idea that uh, this is what our founding fathers intended. You know, if our founding fathers had just wanted it to be up to the states, whether it be the state courts or the state legislature, they could have just said it's up to the states to decide. But they didn't. The founding fathers said it's up to the state legislature to decide how elections will be run. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that. Um, The U.S. Supreme Court is expected to hear oral arguments later this year 
uh, decision won't come out until June of 2023. Uh, it, it is, uh, I, I certainly think it's going to end up being whatever the North Carolina Supreme Court decides. They're, they're not going to hold their decision for the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, their, their decision will take place. They will end up being overturned. By the way, before we go to break, uh, a great story by Chip Alexander. Uh, and most of our listening area would follow the ECU Pirates, and most of you know the situation over the weekend. There was the tremendous game that was played between uh, East Carolina and NC State, and uh, Owen Daffer had a chance to tie the game in the fourth quarter, missed the extra point, had a chance to win the game in the fourth quarter, missed the field goal. And uh, your heart breaks for the kid. And listen, I know these are young adults, but they're still kids. I mean, six years ago, this kid was playing in the Little League. And I don't know, literally, he was playing in the Little League, but that was the age he would have been. After the game on Saturday, at the end of the game, Chip Alexander writes, when the game ended, NC State escaped with a 21-20 victory over East Carolina. Christopher Dunn was seeking out Owen Daffer. Christopher Dunn is the kicker for NC State. He said, it's a kicker's thing. There's a fraternity. And there was a brother in need. He was hurting. Daffer, a sophomore from Wilmington. I just told you what happened. Both teams were rather somber after the game, although NC State was rather relieved they got out of here with a win. Dunn went over to Daffer and said, hey, look, man, you've got a whole year, 11 games left in your season. Don't let this kick define you. Don't let it get in your head. It doesn't matter what other people are going to say. People are going to doubt you. Go prove them wrong. Just, I mean, I, this is a great story. And, and let me say, adversity makes us all stronger. Adversity is how we grow. And, and listen, it's no fun learning the lessons from adversity. But boy, adversity teaches lessons that we will not soon forget. I, 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 listen, I, I don't know that much about this young man, uh, Daffer, Owen Daffer. I would not be surprised if he has a great, great year the rest of the year. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. This is your Drive at Five and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Weather forecast, mainly cloudy tonight. A Cedre shower is possible of 67. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy skies early, then clearing off in the afternoon. Again, a chance of a stray shower or thunderstorm is possible. A high of 84 tomorrow, a low of 63 tomorrow night. Well, Richard Burr's stock dealings, talked about this a little bit yesterday, it's now making national news. Daily Caller is reporting on Sir Richard's well-timed stock sales prior to the economic turndown. The unsealed warrant is in connection to a prior Justice Department investigation into the alleged insider trading by the North Carolina Republican uh, we went over this yesterday, but Burr's stock sales were worth up to $1.72 million. He unloaded 33 different assets on the same day, just days before the uh, stock market took a dive because of COVID. But again, you, no worries. He learned all about the stock market from uh, Jim Cramer. Uh, Burr is not in Washington today. He is uh, home recovering from hip surgery replacement. The uh, 
apparently the hip surgery was a success. He's doing well. He looks forward to being back in Washington and uh, said nothing about stock sales. Billionaire Mark Cuban ripped Elizabeth Warren, the Indian princess, yesterday over a proposal to hike taxes. Cuban made the comment at Vox Media's Code Conference in Los Angeles where he was discussing women in politics and critiquing the two-party system. Cuban said, everybody just takes your money in little chunks, and all of a sudden that adds up. And because you give them these little chunks of money, you have to root for your team, Cuban said. The entrepreneur then took aim at Warren, saying that while he'd be willing to accept a tax increase, Elizabeth Warren, the Indian princess, goes too far. I don't mind being taxed more. I've, I wrote a blog 20 years ago saying it's the most patriotic thing you can do after military service is pay your taxes because that's what allows everybody, you know, to, to live and to prosper. Um, but, yeah, the idea of just soak the rich, billionaire tears, tears that sell that cup. Mm-hmm. Screw you, Elizabeth Warren. You're everything wrong with politics. Okay. There you go. Okay, then. All right. <laughs> uh, Mark Cube is liberal. But I'll I'll have to agree with them, and uh, kudos to Mark on uh, telling it like it is on Elizabeth Warren. Listen, she has proposed her ultra-millionaire tax, which would tax the wealth of American households. This is class warfare. And this is classic class warfare, where, I mean, they, they always talk about playing, paying your equal fair share. No, already— the rich pay the vast majority of the taxes in this country. And people like Elizabeth Warren, who she's only made it in life by stepping all over others as she lies about her Indian heritage, I mean, getting paid three and four hundred thousand dollars a year at Ivy League schools. Somebody's got to pay for it, Mark. If she's going to make this kind of money for doing nothing, somebody's got to pay for it. But, I mean, what what she makes is a drop in the bucket. I mean, what they want to do, A, they're Marxists. They want to uh, spread the wealth. Of course, they want to make sure they get their fair share. So they're a Marxist. But at the same time, the, the, the real motivation for people like Elizabeth Warren is and this is where uh, uh, this is a huge miscalculation by Cousin Eddie with the student loan forgiveness. They think this will buy them votes. Uh, again, I've, I've used this example a thousand times, but if my producer Clark was running for office and he took, you know, out $10,000 and was handing money directly to people out of his own pocket, his own bank account for I'm them. exhausted. for them to vote for him, uh, they would come and arrest him. But people like Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden, they don't take it out of their own pocket to pay you. They take it out of the taxpayer's pocket. They take it out of the public treasury and hand it out to people so those people will turn around and vote for them. They're buying votes. That's exactly what Elizabeth Warren does time and time and time again. And it makes you sick. 
and it makes you sick. You know, it's 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 bad enough that the end product happens. It's bad enough that you know we're going to be in debt by five hundred thousand dollars. That's that's bad enough. But the idea that they do this is a destruction of our republic. Town Hall's reporting Hillary Clinton is now lying about her mishandling of classified information. Have you seen there is this she and her daughter, uh, Chelsea, have um, gone on and I think Apple TV is running a new television show called something called Gutsy or something like that. And why would anyone watch that? I mean, I mean, why would anyone want to watch that? I mean, there's a. Why do you think Hillary lost twice? Actually, she lost three times. Why people don't like Hillary? That's why she lost so bad. I mean, her policies are just typical liberal policies. But the reason why she lost is because she's not likable. And Apple TV wants to go out and give her her own TV show? <laughs> Nonetheless, on this TV show, um, she has come out and, and basically said that, you know, hey, why is anybody focusing on me, the Hillary Clinton standard? That's what they, you know, that's what's going around now when, when they're looking at Donald Trump and did he have classified information they're talking about, well, if you're going by Hillary Clinton standard, then Donald Trump ought to be let go, right? She says, I can't believe we're still talking about this, but but my emails. As Trump's problems continue to mount, the right, uh, the right is trying to make this about me again. There's even a Clinton standard. The fact is I had zero emails that were classified. <laughs> I, where does this woman come off lying like this? I mean, does she live in a fantasy world? I, I really, it's amazing to me that these liberals say what they say, like Jean-Pierre, uh, what's her name? Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, talking about nobody's walking across the border. No, that's not happening. In July 2016, the FBI confirmed Clinton did, in fact, grossly mishandle a number of classified documents, which she stored in a private, unsecured email server in her bathroom. Despite this fact, prosecutors declined to bring charges against her. Remember what Comey said. Our investigation looked at whether there is evidence classified information that was improperly stored or transmitted on the personal system in violation of federal statute, making it a felony to mishandle classified information either intentionally or in a grossly negligent way, or a second statute making it a misdemeanor to knowingly remove classified information from appropriate systems or storage facilities, from the group of 30,000 emails returned to the State Department, 110 emails and 52 email chains have been determined by the owning agency to, to contain classified information. Although there is evidence of potential violations of the statutes regarding the handling of classified information, this is again Comey, our judgment is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. Prosecutors necessarily weigh a number of other factors before bringing charges. There are obviously considerations like the strength of the evidence, especially regarding intent. She didn't mean to, so therefore we're not going to press any charges, right? And... and, and this is for Hillary Clinton, who didn't. Well, she wasn't president. 
She was Secretary of State. She wasn't president. As uh, Mike Davis, former Supreme Court clerk, recently explained, all former presidents get a federally funded office, office of the formal president, former president, with staff. They get security clearances and Secret Service protection and secure facilities for classified records. Even if Trump had classified records, they were protected, period. Hillary Clinton was not president. I mean, what she did was much worse than what they were accusing Donald Trump of doing. Yet, she gets away with it because it's Hillary Clinton. By the way, speaking of that, when, when Hillary Clinton was promoting her new gutsy show, she was asked by a CBS correspondent, this is bizarre, and this, this make a gag. She was asked, why does Hillary Clinton, now the CBS correspondent, I can't remember who it was, but um, she was asked by the correspondent, why do you wear these pantsuits all the time? Now, what I would have asked is, why do you wear these ugly pantsuits all the time? But she left off the word ugly. This is what Hillary Clinton responded with. And she's saying this, and her daughter was saying, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is just, oh, it's so gross. Well, it is gross to an extent. She said, I was sitting on a couch uh, in Brazil. They let the press in. There was a bunch of them shooting up, Clinton told the network. Some of the photos were then apparently used to sell women's underwear. The photos that show Clinton sitting down with her legs not entirely together ended up on billboards, according to the outlet. So, in other words, she now wears pantsuits because when she was wearing a skirt, she was in South America, and the press there were trying to look up Hillary Clinton's skirt so they could sell lingerie. (laughs) Listen. That makes your comments about not having any emails that were classified believable. (laughs) Nora O'Donnell was the CBS uh, interviewer. But, uh, I mean, this woman lives in la-la land. I mean, come on. Hillary Clinton? You're going to use Hillary Clinton's legs to to sell lingerie? I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted thinking about it. I just as soon stare at a piano and its legs. Wow. Washington Examiner is reporting Fauci and Jean-Pierre are ordered to turn over emails sent to social media companies. This is a pretty big story. A Louisiana-based federal judge ruled that White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre and Dr. Anthony Fauci will have to turn over emails sent to social media companies on the subject of censorship and misinformation of online content. That is the big red flag. Yeah, well, and listen, I, th- th- this is an order coming down from a federal judge. What do you want to bet that Fauci ignores it? The, the story goes on. Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry and Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt Both Republicans filed a lawsuit in May accusing Biden's administration of working in tandem with social media companies to suppress free speech 
with specific allegations tied to information regarding elections and COVID-19. The attorneys generals have been deliberating for months with the White House over which documents need to be shown in the lawsuit. On Tuesday, U.S. Court Judge Terry Dowdy ruled that the Biden administration must hand over Fauci and Jean-Pierre's relevant emails within 21 days despite objections from the Justice Department, which cited executive privilege and presidential communication privilege. How ironic that the DOJ is now trying to basically say the same privilege that they tried to take away from Donald Trump, they can have for Joe Biden. This court believes plaintiffs are entitled to external communications by Jean-Pierre and Dr. Fauci in their capacities as White House press secretary and chief medical advisor to the president to third-party social media platforms. The White House has waived its claim of privilege in relation to the specific documents that it voluntarily revealed to third parties outside the White House, Doughty, an appointee of Trump, wrote. The crux of the lawsuit focuses on how media, social media companies handled claims about the origins of COVID-19, as well as how big tech platforms limited the reach of the New York Post article in November of 2020 about information found in a laptop that once belonged to the president's son, Hunter Biden. In their initial finding, Landry and Schmidt argued that having threatened a cajoled social media platforms for years to censor viewpoints and speakers disfavored by the left, senior government officials in the executive branch have moved into the phase of open collusion with social media platforms under the Orwellian guise of hating so-called disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. The pair of Republican attorney generals already obtained records earlier this month showing multiple federal agencies. Officials contacted social media companies to develop content moderation strategies. Again, I you know, if if Fauci's past performance is indicative of future action, I would fully expect him to simply refuse to hand over any emails and probably Jean-Pierre too. I mean, they, they will drag their feet. They will be taken back into court. They will just stretch this thing out as long as they possibly can. And again, this is why it is so, I'm so grateful today to say that um, this uh, JP, uh, JCPA uh, which uh, talked about at the top of the show, the, the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. Tom Tillis came out and said, no, I, you're not going to get my vote on that. Uh, they would need a full 60 votes in the Senate to make this Amy Klobuchar uh, uh, bill a reality. And again, all that's going to do is codify what has already happened with the government and social media platforms it would be okay we we now can legally come out with an iron boot and tell the american people what they're allowed to hear and what they're allowed to see and what they're allowed to read uh yeah it it, it i mean how how close are we to communist china i'm afraid it's way too close stay with us we'll be right back To news and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. 
This just uh, out just a few minutes ago, and it'll make your blood boil. boil. Elijah Fletcher's suspected killer, Kalotha Henderson. Uh, that was the, we, we don't know what all was done, but that is the suspect in the uh, killer of the uh, heiress up in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis murder suspect Kalotha N. Henderson served roughly 20 years of a 24 sentence in state prison after the May 2000 abduction and robbery of attorney Kemper Durant. But he was never granted parole, according to authorities and court records. Henderson's sentencing documents noted that the court ordered him to serve 100% of his 24-year sentence due to his violent criminal past under the Sentence Reform Act of 1989. His juvenile rap sheet already included five charges of aggravated assault, a rape charge after he turned 14, and the gunpoint kidnapping of Durant when he was 16. The five aggravated assault charges came between September of 97 and October of 99. He had seven theft cases between 95 and 99, plus additional charges of evading arrest and trespassing. He was first incarcerated as a juvenile in in 97 after his fourth offense. At 38, Henderson has spent more than half of his life in a Tennessee prison. If he had not been released early, he would have been behind bars on the day police alleged he abducted and killed a Memphis mother of two named Eliza Fletcher as she ran on her morning jog. <sighs> yeah. And you know whether or not that was a mistake, but how many of these cities that are run and states that are run by Democrats – and these uh, prosecuting attorneys and these uh, attorney generals that are backed by George Soros want apparently – I mean the only thing you can say is they, they want this kind of outcome. Daily Caller is reporting Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul. <laughs> this is called irony. She was holding a ribbon-cutting ceremony yesterday announcing a new hallway in New York City's Penn Station, bragging about how we've refurbished this. Penn Station before was just filled with rats and garbage and everything else. They've redone it. This was the governor's project, one of her pet projects, just opening it up. We're opening a space in Penn Station, finally, that's more fit for humans than for rodents, she said. And literally, as she's talking and bragging, it's raining outside and the ceiling starts to leak right in front of her. (laughs) You can't make it up. Washington Examiner is reporting San Francisco has been forced to spend $14 billion to tackle potentially a deadly human waste disaster. Now, liberals are going to call it global warming. And I, I guess... Urine in the bay is technically global warming, all right? The massive algae bloom in the San Francisco Bay that has caused thousands and thousands of dead fish to wash up on shore may be fueled, most likely is fueled, by untreated human feces and urine. The upgrades necessary to ensure the treatment process removes the nutrient and human waste fueling that the bloom uh, is causing it will cost $14 billion to take care of the issue. This from the San Francisco Chronicle. 
uh, these algae blooms that are all over the San Francisco Bay Area right now is in direct correlation to the homelessness that San Francisco welcomes and the human raw waste that is just being it's it's out of control is being making its way into the bay and as a result um fish are dying and it stinks these are the same people that these are the same people that want you to love the environment these are the same liberals that go out and hug trees and and they welcome people in the homeless people uh, to be real graphic the homeless people are just squatting and pooping wherever they feel and it's, I mean, all over the, up and down the roads, it, it, it in the gutter, rainwater comes in, washes it. In fact, in some cases, the, the you know, the, they'll open up the fire hydrants just to wash the, the poop away. And uh, guess what? If, if you live in that environment, it is nasty, it is stinky, it is deadly, it is unhealthy, but hey, let's embrace it. We got to take another timeout. Stay with us. We'll be right back. News and views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Well, there's a new poll out, and uh, I guess it shows uh, that Democrats aren't the brightest bulbs in the pack. The new poll conducted by WPA Intelligence, shared with the Daily Wire found that almost one in four Democrat voters believe that men can get pregnant. The online survey conducted from August 22nd through the 25th. In fact, didn't the new Supreme Court justice, didn't she? She couldn't define what a woman was. So I guess she might think that men can get pregnant. The online survey conducted from August 22nd to 25th found that 22% of Democrats agree with the statement, some men can get pregnant. Specifically, 36% of white college-educated female Democrats agree with the statement. (laughs) Overall, few Americans think men can get pregnant, said WPA Intelligence Managing Director uh, Connor McGuire. But with 36% of a core Democrat constituency, college-educated white Democrat women, and one out of five Democrat voters believing this, one can see why Democrat leaders coddle the racial gender theory movement. What do you call someone that sells their ethics, sells their morals to get something? Uh, isn't that called a prostitute? I mean, th- this is this is unbelievable. I mean, do, do these people not? Does it not bother them that they can't look themselves in the mirror? And say, you know, I, I really, uh, you know, I have my values, I have my beliefs, and I'm going to stick with them no matter what. So basically, what the, this this individual, this Connor McGuire, is saying, the managing uh, uh, director for this uh, polling firm, they're basically saying that the Democrats are are saying all this because. of white college-educated female Democrats agree with the statement that men can get pregnant. The absurdity of it all. And we're supposed to to sit back and nod like that's an intelligent statement. And my goodness, if you disagree with that publicly, oh, you're hateful. You're some 
homophobia, racist, terrible individual. Hey, I think you're intelligent if you uh, come out and say, no, man, can I get pregnant? <laughs> we got to run. Do it again tomorrow. See you then. Bye-bye. All right.